Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Animates. I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And today we are going to be discussing one of the original Nicktoons, 1992's Rocco's Modern Life. Also, look how on schedule we are. <laughs> Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, it has a B-52s inspired theme song. Um, so this show, Rocco's Modern Life, was created by Joe Murray for Nickelodeon to serve as one of its original Nicktoons. It first aired in um, September 18th, 1993. Um, uh, season was primarily produced in 1992. Uh, it aired for four seasons and a total of 52 episodes, which you may also recognize as the magic number for syndication. And, oh my god, the theme song's literally the B-52s, not just B-52s inspired. That is good to know. <laughs> um, and uh, this launched the careers of Carlos, Ellis Rocky, Tom Kenny, Mr. Lawrence, um, and uh, Steven Hillenberg. I, yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. I was like, she'll get to it. But I was like, no, this is by the B-52s. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't realize it. They like, they reeled it in a little bit. <laughs> I think that I want to start out by saying that this, these are the facts of the show. And there are many more. But the show itself is a really weird thing that there's a lot of interesting aspects to its creation and how it existed. But I think I want to start by just saying what my memory of it was as a kid, since we're going back to mm -hmm. the 90s things like we did with SpongeBob. I have experience with this as a child. Now, granted, mm -hmm. I've come to realize I think my experience was relatively limited, but... Whenever I thought of Nickelodeon, one of the big cartoons I would always think of would be Rocco's Modern Life. So for many kids who grew up in the 90s, they will likely have come across it. It's one of the shows people talked about in college as being mm -hmm. worth talking about. So, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia tied in here, which is why it is so strange that it only aired on Nickelodeon, its regular block schedule, from 93 to 96. And that includes a year of syndication, which blew my mind. It's really weird because I definitely remember watching it as a little child, and I have no memories of watching it as anything other than a little child, which means that my memories of that show are from when I was three. Um, so from like, from like literally being a toddler and I distinctly remember that like, cause I asked my mom, I'm like, why were we allowed to watch this? She's like, I don't really remember you doing it. I'm like, it came on before Rugrats. Whereas we were very much, there were a lot of other animated shows at that time that we were very much not allowed to watch. Like we were not allowed to watch Angry Beavers. We were certainly not allowed to watch, you know, the majority of the Cartoon Network shows um, at the time. Uh, but like we were allowed to watch Rugrats and we were allowed to watch Doug for because we were like a very much a PBS household because we were toddlers. We were very little. 
but of non like PBS shows, we were allowed to watch Rugrats and Doug mostly at that time. But if Rocco's Modern Life was on when we turned on the TV, my mom would not make us turn it off, um, which is really interesting. Our experiences are so fucking different because yeah, my family was very YOLO about me watching TV, a.k.a they didn't really filter anything. Part of that was because by the time I was seven, my mom had remarried and there were five of us running around the house. And, That's a lot. And like there were younger kids to pay attention to. So I I benefited from, I think, some inherited largesse. <laughs> but and we had a basement and I was always run down and watch TV in the basement. So, you know, that that helped. But I <laughs> I turned out fine. <laughs> it's it's interesting because it's like um so until I was probably in middle school literally the only place in our house that TV could be accessed was the living room. Um and while I watched like a shitload of TV when I was really little like up through probably like second or third grade like what we were allowed to watch was very tightly controlled um by by both of my parents and they actually disagreed on the like which things needed to be controlled and also some of it was and and this became more of the basis of what we what was controlled in our watching as we got older much of the control was based on what was irritating to my mother <laughs> and we were yeah yeah you know what you know what I get it, dude, because like I, <laughs> I, my, I know somebody who has a nephew and their parents put on like Coco Melon and apparently that's the worst show of all time, according to the parents I know. I, I literally had to leave the room. I, I was like, this is like some CIA black site torture material shit because I've never encountered it, but like from the parents of young children I know, they're like, it's the worst. If you listened to it for more than 30 minutes, I think you would start to lose your grip on reality. I, I oh really God. think that it is. Well, and what's worse is that it's like clearly designed to addict little children with empty calorie oh content. It's it. it I'm not going to. OK, I'm not going to get into it here, but suffice it to say that. I totally understand where your mother was coming from because I can't honestly say that I wouldn't consider that with current yes. children's TV today. Some of the big ones that people were like, you couldn't watch that. I know exactly why I wasn't allowed to watch it. Power Rangers, violent and annoying and made kids do annoying things. <laughs> you guys Pokemon. can't see me, but I'm doing power. giant scam. <laughs> Pokemon, poses. just a giant scam designed to get me to buy you a bunch of shit. Now that's sad. Ed, Ed, and Eddie, this show looks like it was animated with a strobe light, and I can feel my brain melting as I watch it. <laughs> Listen, everybody knows that Pokemon is a scam designed to sell cards, video games, and other memorabilia, but it is a collective delusion that we all enjoy, and so it's fine. My mom wasn't about to be buying us all that shit. <laughs> to be fair, I did get Pokemon cards and Pokemon games. To, okay, but fun side note. 
I actually got to experience Pokemon before the rest of America did because my stepmom, who is from Japan, when she was courting my father, came over and bought me the original Pocket Monsters cartridge for Game Boy that was all in Japanese. I couldn't play it because I couldn't understand Japanese and I always got to the first gym, but it was uncolored. It wasn't red. It wasn't blue. It was like... It had a green paint on it, but it wasn't green. It was just pocket monsters. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's the story I always like to tell, that I got incepted before everyone else. That's um, cool. Yeah, I asked my mom. I was like, but we had Disney shit. And she's like, yes. And of the dozens of Disney VH, like, like tapes that you owned, I did not buy you a single one. She's like, we never bought you a single Disney tape or licensed product. Those were all given to you by other people. <laughs> It's like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So so <laughs> Rocco's Modern Life fits into this constellation. <laughs> because It does. Because it was weird and uh, there's some shit in here. And I, I think we'll gradually build up to the point. But suffice to say, I think it's a really interesting case study of like the animation industry in the early 90s, which we've kind of touched on in the show when we talked about yeah. Rugrats, especially just like how weird Nickelodeon was. And there's a Nick doc on Hulu that's interesting that talks about how Nickelodeon was trying to reinvent itself and it got really weird in the 90s. Like it started to take big chances. It started to look at content that was a little bit different than what had been in the 80s, which Paige has often described as a wasteland. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm like, I feel like we've never really discussed it before, but I feel like maybe we should briefly touch on animation in the 80s. Uh, and maybe at some point we should torture ourselves by watching some of those shows. But, like, literally the 80s were a wasteland of animation. Like, there was nothing... It was just, it was entirely populated by sickly sweet, poorly animated Hasbro licensed products, basically. Like, for example, my father, who was an adolescent in the 80s, um, (laughs) said before, I felt like if I saw one more Smurf or one more Care Bear or one more California Golden Raisin, I was going to lose it. (laughs) Like, it was just all like it was the Smurfs and nine million knockoffs of the Smurfs, like the Snorks um, and some of, you know, like, I think there were still a few like Hanna-Barbera properties on that people might feel affection for, like Johnny Quest, very racist show. Um, or shows that people have affection for, even though they are objectively bad, like the G.I. Joe cartoon, you know, but it was mostly like literally everything existed to sell a toy. There was no other purpose to cartoons in the 80s other than to sell a toy. And most of them were just like sickly sweet bullshit and the laziest animation that you could imagine. (laughs) Right. So I I think. I, I, I really I, I'm not a Netflix simp, I swear to God. But like there is the Toys That Made Us docuseries on Netflix, which is pretty interesting at times. And they go over specific lines of toys like He-Man, Care Bears, like all that stuff. And that show really 
really makes it apparent that the only reason that animation in the West existed was to sell toys. And yeah, that's not true of like fucking there were Looney Tunes episodes designed to sell classical music because Warner Brothers owned the rights to like a lot of classical that music. That was the sales. whole point. That's why all those old classic cartoon WB cartoons are called Looney Tunes or not tunes like T-O-O-N, like cartoons. It's tunes, T-U-N-E-S, or Merry Melodies, because the entire reason they existed was to sell WB's massive back catalog of classical music. And let, let us not pretend like this is something that has changed, right? Like part of the reason that SpongeBob mm-hmm. is, is on a 40k emperor style style throne where his corpse is being kept alive through occult rituals and child sacrifice is not just because it makes them absurd amounts of money and merchandise so you understand how much adrenochrome spongebob needs just to stay alive at this point (laughs) so it, it it's it's it advertising especially like is the lifeblood of television so cartoons still have to appeal enough to sell at least to sell ads but like i mean like even indie darlings like bee and puppy cat like a lot of the way they've survived is by like selling puppy cat plushes and shit like that you know and but the 80s in particular like i i feel like the 80s was kind of like the height of cynicism in animation like hyper consumerism like the 80s in general were hyper consumerism and that was reflected in the animation as well like nobody gave a shit they were just like railing lines of coke and being like and this one has a rainbow on its ass <laughs> and this one has a sunbeam on its ass <laughs> oh my god that's a very evocative image um, but yeah so uh, coming out of that Nickelodeon seemed interested in trying new things I think there was like a lot of there were a lot of people who felt that the 90s offered something potentially different in that particular sphere. I mean, and just think about the 90s in general, right? Go watch any fucking CNN documentary on the 90s. Um, But those have been so, those are so tired. But the 90s was coming into this period where like, we're still super consumerist, but a lot of people were feeling that sort of like, cynicism about that particular lifestyle and so you were starting to try to get countercultures with it i don't know yeah it's interesting so this show it's um like so in terms of the production of the show if you look at interviews about how it was made people will use the phrase the industry was ripe right and so the this is the time where you get the original wave of Nicktoons and when Cartoon Network comes into being. And so there was a situation where there was also sort of like, you know, a ratings war, right? Between like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network that really fostered a lot of creative freedom for creators. They basically, Nickelodeon would be like, no, 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 like we'll just let you do whatever you want. And that's how they got people to come make shows for them. And they really did very minimal censorship on stuff, which we'll we'll get to. But um, this show is really in many ways a Gen X manifesto because it is full of the just like jaded alienation that we associate overall with 
with Gen X. This is like this is like ch train spotting the children's cartoon. You know, <laughs> it's like um, it is it is just completely like like cynical and um like alienated and it's really it's like very adult not just in a way of having like a bunch of sex jokes in it but in a way of like no child could possibly relate to this um it's 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 very distinct i feel like it's rocco's modern life is very like temporarily bound like you just can't really get a show with this particular uh point of view outside of like the early to mid 90s and i think it exists in a time that is distinctly pre-wide adoption of the internet too yes yes that i think that factors heavily into a lot of it so i before we get on talking about all this stuff um it'll be helpful to use examples to make our point so let's introduce just as a reminder for people the cast and all that good stuff so that when we mention Rocco, you know who we're talking about in case you've never seen this show, which you do yourself a favor and go find it. Yeah, <laughs> um, you it, can. It's like if you like get a free trial of Paramount Plus on Amazon, you can watch like probably most of it before the free trial expires because it's only 52 episodes. So there you go. Um, so this is centered around Rocco. Does Rocco have a last name? Um, I guess not. No. So uh, this this operates on a lot of first name bases. Oh, mm -hmm. I I gotta throw this out here. This is sure. this is beginning the trend. This this show begins the trend of using anthropomorphic animal characters. Now, granted, that's not the first, like, obviously Disney has done that. Like, we've seen that before, but, like, I feel like, like this... Well, that's, the, that's the original cartoon, Chris. <laughs> this... I, I, no, but, like, okay, it's one thing to have, like, Daffy Duck running around, but it's another to have, like, these animal characters wearing shoes and going to the store and, like, living in a normal life, I feel. I, okay, okay. I see like, what you mean. I see what you mean. So anyway, um, this this conceit comes becomes common and okay. becomes its uh, natural successor in its millennial form, which we'll get to. But Rocco is a wallaby, not a not a kangaroo. He's a wallaby. Mm -hmm. Another marsupial. Yeah. And his full name is actually Rocco Rama. That is ridiculous. Um, but I'm glad to know that. Uh, so he is voiced by Carlos Alizraki, which is, I hope that that is close to a correct pronunciation of that, who is like, you might know him as Deputy Garcia from Reno 911. Um, th this has been completely fucking me up. Like, I, he is apparently a prolific voice actor who launched his career playing Rocco and Spunky on this show. He also played uh, Mr. Crocker, Wondissimo, and Dinkelberg on The Fairly Odd Parents. A uh, bunch of other stuff, including the fucking Taco Bell Chihuahua. Like the Yo Quiero Taco Bell. And Rocco, the Wallaby, same person. 
He was I, also apparently Spyro the Dragon. Like, who, apparently every voice actor has played Spyro the Dragon at some point. Like, based on, like, any time I look at a voice actor, I'm like, oh, he's a prolific voice actor. It's like, he also played Spyro the Dragon. I'm like, who fucking hasn't, I guess. It's the SNL of <laughs> voice acting. Being Spyro. <laughs> yeah, being Spyro. So you, you take your turn. You do it if you've made it. There you go. So, yeah, and and most people, I think, will really recognize uh, two people we've already talked about. Granted, we're we're going back in time a little bit, but the first is Tom Kenny. Yes. Tom Kenny is Heifer Wolf, who is a cow, who is Rocco's best friend. And was raised by wolves. (laughs) And was raised by wolves. Tom Kenny, very Tom Kenny- in this show and the other person you'll probably recognize is mr lawrence right mr lawrence was a writer and voice actor on spongebob mm-hmm. he plays filbert shellback who is a turtle so literally his back is a shell mm-hmm. yes yes and he's like hyper neurotic like like you i don't want to like point fingers and maybe this is something where it's like the discrimination is actually inside me and not in the show (laughs) but you might also call that character anti-semitic yeah so i i was just about to say he feels coded as sort of like stereotypically jewish yes absolutely absolutely like larry Like, like larry david style of like very neurotic jewish like a classic like borscht belt routine like neurotic like hyper neurotic like has a bunch of health conditions like kind of like jewish stereotype which is like i don't know it's like that is a stereotype that many uh jewish people from the east coast who are in comedy use in their own comedy about themselves but it does feel (laughs) like i don't think mr lawrence or joe murray are jewish yeah, so make your make your own decisions. Yeah, make your own decisions. Maybe you'll look at it and be like, no, actually, Paige and Chris, you're anti-Semitic for thinking that. <laughs> but, right, the, yeah, the, the implicit racism was in me all along. The, the anti-Semitism was inside me all along, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny in this, it's interesting because neither Tom Kenny nor, uh, nor Mr. Lawrence are really doing the voice. You know, um, he, Mr. Lawrence is not doing, he mostly, in Spongebob does Plankton and other Plankton-esque voices, and Filbert sounds super different than that. And Tom Kenny also, as the show goes on, you can hear him voicing many side characters in a way that is immediately recognizable as Tom Kenny, if you are familiar with the rest of his entire career after that. Uh, but the voice he does for Heifer Wolf is really, really different than the voices that we're sort of used to Tom Kenny doing. Tom Kenny, we're used to him go like pitching up and going nasal. Heifer is the opposite. It's pitched down. That's why originally I was really shocked that that's who he voiced. Because there are Tom Kenny voices in the rest of the show, but yeah, I was surprised when I read up that he was Heifer. That that was shocking. 
Yeah, so. it's it was unexpected. Um, definitely because it's like Tom Kenny is one of those people where he's like a very talented voice actor and can be different, but he's not like so. You've got two different kinds of voice acting greats. Uh, you've got uh Mark Hamill who is almost in a class of his own where he's voiced everything you've ever loved but you do not immediately know that it's Mark Hamill because he sounds completely and utterly different in everything that he does and then you have your Tom Kenny's who are prolific and talented but when you hear them you immediately know that's Tom Kenny but not Heifer like if you like you know the you know the Tom Kenny voice and then you listen to Heifer and you're like yeah that's not it like, you're sure that's Tom Kenny? <laughs> well, Tom Kenny, a man of just a bottomless well of talent. <laughs> so, yeah. he, could, he could do anything. Yeah. He um, can, yeah. Ed, so the big heads are oftentimes, you know, their their voices are very recognizable. They're both, both Mr. and Mrs. Big Head are voiced by... Charlie Adler, mm-hmm. who's done some other stuff on some other shows, but we haven't come across him before yet. I don't think we have either. It's it like, uh, okay, he does a lot of, he does a lot of the most annoying voices that have appeared in animation. Um, so the one time that we would have encountered him before is when we did Aubrey Monsters because he was Ickes. Oh, we would have. Very distinctive yeah. voice. Yeah, he does all of the most annoying. Like he did Brandy and Mister Whiskers. He did Cow and Chicken. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't even gotten to Cow and Chicken yet. Paige is, and we never lo- will. No, Paige is loathing it. I will make her watch it. <laughs> so yeah, so he's done all of the most annoying uh, voices in animation. Basically, is what he has done. And that's really the majority of characters. Like, really, I don't think there's a lot. The the show actually has a very small cast. It does, yeah. Compared to some of the shows that we've incorporated or or that we've we've covered, rather. So that's, you know, and and this show takes place in L.A., New York, L.A., Chicago. It's it's weird. It's interesting because at one point they go to Hollowood um, and they show them leave the town they're in. And it's clearly Chicago geographically where they have it put. It's like on the shore of a big lake and that's Chicago geographically. But then like when you look at their environment, it seems very like L.A. But then when you encounter sort of like their public transportation and stuff like that, it's very New York. Yeah. And they're palm trees. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's any American city, TM. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, and there's really not much plot to the show. It is literally just a series of vignettes about Rocco's modern modern life. Life. It's right there in the name. It it you, what you see is what you get. It's it tells you exactly what it's going to do. And there you go. (laughs) So in that sense, this does fulfill our desire to leave emotionally mature plot driven television for something just a little more schizophrenic. Yeah, it's (laughs) like all over the place. 
One thing, like one element of this show, like what is a significant element of the show that I think is really actually very important and characterizes many 90s programs is that it is gross. It is really gross. Um, I like given it, it contains a lot of uh, vomit, which I don't love, um, like a lot of it. And I think that it is largely a reaction to what I was talking about. Um, like with the 80s, where it was like everything that was in the 80s was like spinoffs from 60s cartoons about the kids from those or characters that you already knew, but they were babies or, you know, like, you know, like My Little Pony and, and, and California Golden Raisins and shit like that. That sickly, that completely like sort of like saccharine, overly cute thing that was going on in the 80s. And I think that a lot of people who were coming up during that time and were getting the opportunity to, you know, be serious creative forces in animation in the 80s, uh, in sorry, in the 90s, were like, uh, fuck that. It's going to be gross. It's going to be like really nasty. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of things artistically that happened in the 90s could be described as it's raw. <laughs> Extreme. <laughs> it's raw. <laughs> so that that's very much how I how this feels too. Um so let's let's talk about Rocco's modern life. I I think the good a good place to start is kind of what Murray has said about his own work or or, or has been said about the work which is it's basically a series of neurotic vignettes about living as a young adult and being pushed into like the adult world. Again, it's temporally bound. So of the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. They're apparently supposed to be like 20, which seems crazy. Like that's also another thing about it that is temporarily bound. Like even as broke and alienated as they are, the fact that they're 20 years old and like didn't apparently not attending college and are still like living on their own. Crazy. Also that's Rocco owns a house. Does he own that house yes. or does he rent? Well, uh, yeah, that's insane. No, oh shit. No, yes, because one of the main, one of the first season episodes is Mr. Big Head trying to get tries Rocco. Tries to get it condemned. Yeah, yeah, tries to get the house condemned. So Rocco owns the house. Yeah, completely insane. Completely insane. Like that is another, it's like, oh, they're so broke and they're so alienated and they didn't go to college, but they also fucking own a house and like live by themselves. It's like, but the owning a house thing was probably just like fantasy for writing the cartoon even then, but like just the living on their own at all. To you be, know? To be <laughs> like, fair, it's crazy. the house is a shithole. So it is an absolute shithole. So it it's not like they were like, this dude owns this nice house. He owns a house ever closer to being condemned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And definitely. but but they do live in a middle class neighborhood, though, because like yes. Mr. Big Head is well off. Yeah. Rocco lives in the worst house in a middle class neighborhood, essentially. Yeah. So it, it yeah, maybe a little bit of fantasy, but ultimately, um, ultimately, 
he owns a house. And that, to any millennial or Gen Z, is just like, what the fuck, man? And, yeah. So, um, so anyway, the show's about, you know, Rocco having to deal with many of the, the idiot, like, the, the many annoyances and, like, Kafka-esque absurdities of living as an adult. And for this reason, Paige and I have been talking, it really doesn't seem like this show was made for children. It does not. It does not in any way. Like, it's like, yeah, sure, there's like a ton of sex jokes in it, but that's not what I mean, because even the super blatant sex jokes that are in there largely go over kids' heads. I mean that, like, no child could ever relate to an episode about the challenges of your commute. Which is an episode, like just just to make it clear. Which also contains my favorite joke in the parts of the show that I watched, which is that his car gets towed and his boss takes a call and says, yeah, I'll give the phone to him. And he looks at Rocco and says, it's your car. And Rocco answers the phone and it's literally his car. His car has become anthropomorphized and is calling him on the phone like he's in jail. And then he like the car has to like work on a chain gang until Rocco can get it out of impound. Um, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, so like basically this takes an adult premises and like, oh, you get your car towed and it's a commute and and wow, what does a seven-year-old fucking know about that? Yeah, exactly. Or exactly like, even the one that I just watched where it was like this is great. Like, I'll go more into this later. But Rocco asks for a raise and his boss is like, I'll give you something better than a raise. I'll make you employee of the month and you'll get your picture in the newspaper. Um, and so then Rocco is concerned about taking a good picture and he's having a bad hair day. Like even that, like that's not re- like that's not relatable to a child, you know, like the first even the first season, which you would think. Well, okay, so it should be clear, Murray has been quoted as saying he did not expect the show to get picked up for more than a season. So even he, I think, is aware that, like, what he's doing is probably not gonna last, which is shocking because it gets picked up for four seasons. (laughs) But, like, they talk about, like, Rocco being hypnotized by advertising to buy something off of, like, a QVC-esque network, or... Rocco, like his neighbor, is trying to get his house condemned so he gets kicked out of the property. None of these things are remotely of in like in and, and yes, there's wacky colors and, and violence, but fundamentally, I you're expecting some episodes to be relatable. And it's just like one after the other of these weird surreal plots that require you to understand adults or adult living. Like in one of the episodes, Rocco's trying to get fucked by Mrs. Big Head, who is sexually frustrated because her husband won't fuck her. And yeah, sorry, Rocco's trying to avoid getting fucked by Beth. Right. right. <laughs> Rocco's trying to avoid getting fucked. And it's not <laughs> subtle. You're getting, you're like, what what into what innuendo are you guys reading into, you dirty pervs? And no. No. N- no. To to Nickelodeon's, I guess, credit, they did never air that episode again. 
But yeah, reg- the par- parents got mad. <laughs> regardless, the fact that it got approved and got aired still means that it belongs in the discussion of the show. And there are other episodes that continue to air that have pretty clear sex jokes in them. Oh, yeah. So like the, like apparently a huge one that like we didn't like I, I got most of the way through season two. Um, one that I had not gotten to is apparently Rocco. There's an episode where Rocco works at a sex hotline. Like there's a there's instructions on the wall behind him that say be hot, be naughty and be courteous. And apparently there's a scene where he just flatly repeats, oh, baby, into the receiver over and over again. Well, and, and he calls Mrs. Bighead or Mrs. Bighead calls the sex hotline. Yeah. I, dude, yeah. the be naughty is in all capital letters. Oh, my God. It's it's there's a lot of great sight gags. It's a show. work of. Yeah, it's a work of art. Um, oh, my God. So, I, yeah. Yeah. Like, like Heifer gets jerked off by an automatic milking machine. Because he, uh, as he says many times, is a steer, not a cow. He he is male. What mm-hmm. were they milking, guys? Yep. Yep, exactly. Yep, there's a there's like a there's a no tell motel, literally called a no tell the no tell motel. Um, there oh, and there's like it's just rife with masturbation joke. Like there is a restaurant called Chokey Chicken in the show, <laughs> or like um, Mister Bighead goes over and asks if the if you boys want to play a game. And Rocco's holding a ping pong paddle and he says, we're already playing a game. And it cuts to inside and Heifer and Philb are at a table where there's a game board and they're both holding ping pong paddles. And in the middle of the game board is like a monkey with a prominent butt. So they're spanking the monkey. (laughs) Another one. Yeah. Choki Chet. I was watching TV and playing a video game while it was that episode came on. And I literally mm-hmm. turned to the TV and I paused it and I died in my game because I was so shocked that they would include the phrase choky chicken. I know. When I first I was like, are you shitting me? Like, it's like completely unsubtle, completely unsubtle, like aggressive, like masturbation jokes and, 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 and sex jokes in this in this show. It's crazy. But again, that doesn't. Other shows have done that to a lesser degree, so that's not what we mean by not for children. I mean, it's not for children in the same way that we kind of talked about towards its end. Infinity Train was also kind of not for children anymore. Yeah, exactly. Not that it was like, yeah, there's like really like, sure, there's a million completely unsubtle like sex jokes in this, but also like my mom let us watch Grease nine million times as children and I... I didn't notice until I was an adult that in the song Grease Lightning, they say they're going to be getting lots of tit and that it's a real pussy wagon. You know, <laughs> like kids do not notice that kind of stuff at all. It's 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 not for children in the sense that, like, I don't understand how a child could relate to this or like find humor in it. Um, Like, yeah, they can find humor in like the gross out stuff. But like, I don't really know how it can be like funny to a child that you like are stuck in the DMV all day, you know, (laughs) which as an adult, there were some times where I was watching it and it was almost painful because (laughs) although it was 
oftentimes an absurd or, or like premise that an adult would understand. It was painful because I was like, ooh, like, yeah, that does suck. <laughs> it does. <laughs> that does suck. And I like there is also like a uh, like a low key like public transportation pro public transportation agenda in this uh in this show like when he's in the dmv at one point he walks it's so short like blink and you'll miss it but he walks around a corner and on the wall there is a there's a poster that says drive a car it's the law (laughs) and if this is based at all in la that's (laughs) pretty much yeah yeah pretty pretty much so i I think that one way to segue from this idea that the show wasn't really for children is that I think in the light of history, you can see this show as being um, an embryo that later splits and develops on two different tracks or it's like a lump of clay you split and shape into two different clearer lumps of clay, which is like Rocco is straddling this children-adult divide. Like, at one time, one in five viewers of Rocco's Modern Life were adults, which is insane. In the 90s, The Simpsons was only... How old was it at that time, Paige? Like, four years old. So It premiered in 1989. And The Simpsons is generally considered to be, like, the, the first adult animated cartoon on on tv so at the time like that was that was still experimental nobody was sure if it was going to work cartoons are still generally considered for children even today so even back then it 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 was a risk like adult animation was a risk um and that's kind of an understatement so Rocco kind of straddles this divide at a time when the form is still young and one in five at that time is an insane amount of, of viewers for, for this, you know, children's program. Later, we can trace shows like this as kind of like spawning what we see in the later 2000s, where you get children's shows that offer a lot of on-ramps for children, but offer them deeper themes. So things like Adventure Time that talk about family stuff but also like you've got they they clearly know who their audience is right they're writing shows for children that adults can enjoy the other track is adult swim where you can see shit like aqua teen hunger force as taking the adult angle of things and focusing on it as their main audience and adult swim has been very successful at that Arguably, Cartoon Network's most successful programming block of all time. So, I don't know the numbers on that, but I think you could definitely make the argument. Yeah, and, and Adult Swim started around like 2000, I think, 1999. So in many ways, Rocco wasn't that much of a predate to that but you can see you can kind of trace i feel like the idea that these people eventually lay the groundwork for people to say oh we can create cartoons for adults just for adults there's enough of a market like if you turned rocco into something just for adults you could make that one in five bigger 
Yeah, um, and a cartoon for an ad- for adults doesn't necessarily have to mean like essentially a sitcom, but animated. You know, um, because like a lot of the like even to this day, many of the more popular adult uh, adult cartoons are essentially sitcoms um but they're just they're animated and they gain certain types of freedom from being animated and you know i think there was a thought that that this kind of more surreal stuff was like belonged to the realm of children's animation but shows like Rocco's modern life definitely really showed that people like adults are very much interested in that and so then you end up with stuff like you know, um, Dr. Katz and uh, um, Harvey Birdman, attorney at law and, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force and things like that. Well, and even people who go back and reimagine those children's properties as something more mature a la Venture Brothers. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I it, but it but Rocco, right, we're talking about Rocco. So Rocco's very much still in that like pro like a. Uh, primordial soup phase yes Yes, absolutely where it feels like they sort of like it it is which makes it even more weird that it got four seasons i still cannot wrap my head around the fact and and i think it's just a testament to the fact that nickelodeon really put their money where their mouth was when they were weird when they were like we're giving you a chance we're willing to be weird right it's the slime era of nickelodeon yeah a, a time that i fear will never come again. No, yeah, Nickelodeon has become profound. Like, well, that's the thing with both Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network is that they what have they are now well-established networks that are, you know, pull in, you know, are either owned by or pull in similar amounts of money to, you know, your old like your old fashioned networks of your, right? And so they are they become what all corporations are which is highly risk averse. Um, So that's why you haven't seen anything fresh or interesting out of animation on Nickelodeon, like since they launched like Jimmy Neutron. Um, And Cartoon Network has really had like a lot of fits and starts where they'll have periods where like they're just canceling good shows for no reason and producing a bunch of garbage. And then they'll be like, oh, we need to like do something better and like produce a bunch of good shit. And then I'll be like, oh, no, no, no more risks, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, but at the be- in the beginning of the 90s, these were both brand new networks, you know, um, they like and in order to sort of I guess Nickelodeon was around like for a few years before that, but uh, like. Cartoon Network was brand spanking new, and in order to carve out a market share for themselves, they needed to take a lot of risks. And so that's why you get truly bizarre shit, like Rocco's Modern Life. Like, legitimately, as I'm watching Rocco's Modern Life, the main my main reaction most of the time to the show was, do I like this? I don't know. I don't actively dislike it, but I don't really know if I like it either. <laughs> Yeah, I I think to some extent I it it really just seems like the scrappy underdog phase and and Nickelodeon did exist, but it, it really needed it wanted to reinvent itself. So 
it was essentially prepared to start from the bottom to do that. And it it really is sort of unfortunate that like all the good creative shit comes out of their scrappy underdog phases or when the company is in trouble. And now like who the, who the fuck knows? But yeah, with Rocco, I also feel I like it more than I don't. But I mean, there are some times where it definitely shows its age. There's a shit ton of fat jokes centering around heifer and like that definitely is is weird in retrospect but i think some of its messages still hold true for example it really takes a pretty strong stance against like consumerism oh yeah definitely so it's like Basically, the whole reason that the town is called O-Town is because it is the home to Conglomo Corporation, and most people in the town work for Conglomo, and so it's named O-Town. Um, and Conglomo, literally, their their motto, their slogan is, we own you. And what Conglomo makes, not clear, but they do own and control everything. Um, there's also a lot of stuff about, like, just generally bad bosses and how, like, you might have loyalty to the company, but the company will never have loyalty to you. Or um, Rocco asks for a raise and his boss gets him to quiet down by saying that he'll make him employee of the month. You know, things that we know, like, we we all know, like, here in 2023 that... Like, you know, like awards like that. What do you what do you use? Like, I'm going to give you something better. I'm like, oh, is he going to make him like a team lead or something? You know, uh, but I don't think they had team leads at comic book stores back then. So he was employee of the month. And that's just like a meaningless trinket to get you to shut the fuck up and deal with the fact that you're being underpaid and feel like you're being recognized, even though they're not actually doing anything for you. So I think it's pretty that is that is also part of the whole like like Gen X attitude is that like sort of like cynical anti-consumerism, right? Now, what's um what's more negative about that is that also famously the Gen X attitude is to just like not do anything about it. <laughs> you know, is to like put on a flannel and do heroin, <laughs> you know, or whatever, rather than doing anything about it. But it is like it is pretty critical of like you know, corporate business and what it means to like have a job and how you get treated and um, how, how you're sort of like forced to engage in all of these kind of like destructive, unhelpful things just to be a part of society. It does also reflect the like, for example, there's an episode where Rocco kind of becomes the boss for a day and he turns into a little tyrant. Like so, an absolute monster. Yeah. So I think it 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 also is is like well you know wealth and power and authority corrupt people which is yeah like good. you your 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 position as like exploiter or exploitee is entirely a class position that it is not necessarily related to one's personality right that if you are put in the class position of being the employer that you will inherently be forced to exploit the employee I don't necessarily know that the show intended to do this, but I think it does a, a good job of also showing the result of living in a society like this when you essentially lack any community. 
Mm-hmm. Like, Rocco has one friend, too, kind like Filbert, but they sort of exist on their own in this little pack and are mm-hmm. experiencing the indignities and absurdities of modern life, but they have, like, no support system. Yeah, the only one who we show with a family is Heifer, and his family is profoundly dysfunctional. And that's that's another one of those, like, the Gen X bleeding in is that pretty much every relationship is dysfunctional. And I, we mm-hmm. can go through them, like, line by line. Like, in terms of romantic relationships, you've got the big heads. And... As a tieback, Ed, Big Head, is one of our ways to see a lot of conglomo stuff because he works mm-hmm. as like an executive, executive for yeah. conglomo. So Ed and Bev are like, they, they love each other, but also their relationship is the worst. Bev is love-starved, but also nervous and... Very, I, I'm not convinced that even if she were receiving love, she would be satisfied with it. Classic neurotic housewife. Yeah, so she she has her own issues, but I think she's generally presented as being more sympathetic. Um, Ed is cold, abusive. He sometimes shows love, but other times doesn't. And even when they come to a resolution in an episode, their relationship is never resolved. So it they are romantically dysfunctional. Um, Heifer and Rocco have a kind of a bad relationship, too, and they're best friends. It's a terrible friend, and I don't feel like the show is sending a message that, like, you know, a lot of other shows like this, they would there would be like like a degree of like it would be obvious based on other people's reaction to a person that like hey this person is globally a bad friend like you should not behave like this like like someone who behaves like heifer i feel like in you know i don't know fucking the fairly odd parents or something would be like almost villainous as a character um but there's none of that kind of that's not there in the writing like in the writing, there's not really anything that sort of makes there's nothing in the performance that makes Heifer seem villainous. And there's nothing in anybody else's reaction to him that makes it clear that they that they say see his behavior as aberrant in any way. Right. It's it's almost like it's like, yes, Heifer is a terrible friend who is self-centered and takes advantage of the people around him and only cares about what other people can give him and views his relationships as transactional. And that's normal. That's how people are. That's definitely the impression that I get from the writing. And that I feel like that could be like, you know, you don't get to choose your friends. You just you have your friends and they they kind of suck. That feels very genetic to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, even your close friends kind of are shitty. Like, uh, like a low level of shitty <laughs> all the time. That, you know, not that's not so great. And uh, I, you can see foils to that. Like, SpongeBob has a heifer in Patrick. But despite Patrick's issues, 
He loves SpongeBob and he's not afraid to show it. And he does yeah. things for SpongeBob. So he's like Patrick is dumb and selfish, but even through all of that, like his love for his friend, like will sometimes lead him to occasionally do something nice. Yeah. And and the show is more hopeful in that regard. So mm-hmm. ultimately, they're like you don't really see good relationship role models. So like it's probably a good thing children didn't get to watch this for too long. <laughs> um but yeah, ultimately no relationships are good. Your dreams aren't going to be realized. Corporations are sucking the life out of everything. And Rocco's filled with suppressed rage all the time, too. Like he's mostly like, oh, oh, oh dear. I'm I'm a neurotic wallaby with a lot of anxiety. And then like once or twice a season, there will be an episode where he absolutely loses his fucking mind in a fit of rage, just like absolute rage. And that, my friends, is what happens when you live in this system and don't have support and don't receive therapy. Yep. Um, There are also a lot of really excellent, like, very specific early 90s pop cultural events type references that I really enjoyed. Donald Trump. The low speed chase was great. (laughs) Yeah. So just in case you guys don't know, Donald Trump is a person who works at Ed's company. And clearly he's meant he like his demeanor is like very Trumpish. So even in the early 90s, they were dunking on Trump. Yeah, he was just kind of a ridiculous and laughable businessman then. But yeah, there's like so like Rocco gets involved in a low speed chase with police, which is a reference to O.J. Simpson. Uh, At one point, (laughs) Rocco is taking uh, public transportation and there's like an unsettled looking guy wearing a, a postal worker's uniform. And he's like, oh, ever since I got laid off from the post office, I'm feeling a little disgruntled and everyone like flees from him, which is a reference to the many, many workplace shootings perpetrated by postal workers in the 80s and early 90s. Um, God, there were a bunch of other ones. There were like there are a bunch, well, a bunch of like current events type stuff. Like the show tapped into the 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 fitness craze. When they go oh, to join yeah, a health they have a lot club. of Rich, Richard Simmons uh, appears. Richard in the show Simmons a lot. is a pig that appears in the show, and I wit like he clearly isn't voiced by Richard Simmons, but they do a really close, a really job. good impression. Yeah. Also, okay the the head of Conglomo is a fucking lizard, <laughs> like lizard people wasn't a thing yet but it's it's funny how that kind of lined up oh my god how can we forget really really big man oh my god really really big man is very funny i so right marvel marvel and dc are getting really big in the 80s and fucking rocco's modern life spoofs basically Superman as really, really big man. Who's like a really inept superhero, but he's got big muscles. He's both a comic book character and also a real person in this universe. 
Right, yeah. So he shows up in an episode of where, like, they're working at the comic book store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, man. that's that's really great. Um, okay, I fucking love... Okay, one of the episodes that is more childlike is the dentistry test episode where Filbert is training to become a dentist. And so the way that you deal with cavities is by irradiating them with x-rays, turning them into a giant tooth, and then slaying that tooth. Oh my god. So... That's, I didn't get to that one. That is hilarious. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. And it... It, it 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 spoofs a lot of the experience of going to a dentist, which again, kids can relate to that one. Yes, they can. Yeah. Uh, so there was also an episode in season one where Heifer and Rocco attend a baseball game. Oh yeah, which, <laughs> yeah. Hammerhead, which is interesting for multiple reasons, but particularly interesting because of the graphic violence <laughs> that is in there. It's really fucked up. Like, How there's a, graphic was it? Extremely graphic. There's a character called Hammerhead, and he is a baseball player, and he is a Hammerhead shark, and he, like, finally go, and he's, like, a star, and Heifer's obsessed with him, and he finally, like, goes out on the field to play, and the pitcher throws the ball, and it goes directly into his fucking eye, through the tube of his Hammerhead, and out through his other eye, and he, like, falls down. Like, presumably dead, and then the, uh, like, repeated sight gag of the little beavers with the stretcher who go hup, 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 happens. No, he's shown alive later in the episode, but when it happened, I was like, what the fuck? Well, okay, so there's a gag in the exercise episode where Rocco's arms fall off, and, like, they show blood. Holy shit, really? Yeah, blood and bone. When his arms yeah. fall off. And I was shocked. And that's not the only episode where blood is visible. Like, red-colored blood. Yeah, in Carnival Knowledge also, a joke on Carnival Knowledge, um, the, like, hazardous carnival, you show people, like, like people are bleeding, you know, and that it seems, like, shocking to me, given what came before and after, like, the graphicness of the material for something that they were willing to air during, like, children's programming blocks. Yeah, I guess standards and practices really let that go. <laughs> so, it, it it's weird to me that they, they show a lot of blood. And, yes, the show does have a relatively high amount of violence to it as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely changed as things progressed, shall we yeah. say. For but sure. ultimately, I don't know how much of it will hit. It, you can find modern corollaries to this show. Like there's an episode about the dangers of credit. And, you know, they're, they're, that's still relevant because we give kid, like young people credit cards. And I yeah. actually, I think shows like this seeped into my psyche because I was deathly afraid to ever get a credit card. I waited until yeah, I was same. 24 to get a credit card. And even then, yeah, I was 
highly reluctant to do it because I'd been raised on cartoons where people get in trouble with credit cards. There's a whole episode of The Proud Family about it, too. So I in that respect, I think that was a good thing. Yes, it jump started my credit a little late, but it instilled a healthy fear of debt into me. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I um I also think we were talking about how really if you like this show has an almost perfect corollary in regular show. Like regular show is the millennial Rocco's modern life and they're both incredibly temporally bound, right? Because regular show is also anthropomorphic animals. It's also surreal. It's also about two like broke slackers working shitty jobs in their early 20s, right? But, and, and, and they're both about the alienation that these people feel, but regular show is a millennial program. And so the reaction to alienation is to cling to childhood, is to cling to like whimsy and games and fun and comic books and like certain elements of childhood to refuse to give them up, um, like in the process of becoming an adult. And that is a method of dealing with alienation. Whereas uh, Rocco's Modern Life is a very Gen X show. And the method of dealing with alienation is to just try not to feel anything. <laughs> it's to just become completely jaded and cynical and decide that nothing matters. Yeah, whereas, like, regular show is all about fighting to yeah. some extent. Like, yeah, whether it be epic battles or... I mean, the final... Okay, the, the final movie is about, like, fighting tyranny. Yeah. So it definitely feels like J.G. Quintel is more what millennials would recognize as based. Sure. <laughs> a word sure. that dates me. Yep, definitely. Yeah, that's a right wing word now, unfortunately. Oh, what? No. Yeah. They take the right wingers say they take everything. I remember back in like 2013 where when Pepe's were rare and we could all enjoy them. <sighs> the right ring. The, the, the right ring. The, the right wing strikes again. Um. I remember, you know, also back in like 2011 where the most based person alive was Lil B the base god. Lil B. You know? I, yeah, that takes me back to college. Mm -hmm. <sighs> well, yeah. I think at the end of the day, the way I, I walk away glad that I did this, liking and having laughed very loudly at a number of gags, <laughs> I... I think that despite the show's dated nature, it does offer us sort of a good look back and it can definitely be seen as something that presages changes in animation going forward through the 90s and into the early aughts. And I definitely felt some good nostalgia and that's always good too. Yeah. Something that's important to note is like, so I watched this on, it's like Amazon Paramount Plus 
combo. I actually literally paid money for the first season and then a free trial of Paramount Plus for any more of it. But it's really important to note that if you're going to do that, that like, so it calls it volumes instead of seasons, which is something that the streaming services do when they want to like sort of fool you um, about stuff. But like half of season one is completely missing. It's completely out of airing order. Even when you get to season two, it's completely out of airing order. There are like actual plot elements, like, like, like the season one that they have on there, you wouldn't think that they're friends with Philbert because Philbert appears like one time as a DMV employee in there. There are like ongoing plot elements with like Philbert particularly that like you cannot pick up on that are not present because it's completely out of airing order. So, I mean, it's it's mostly like it it mostly does not matter because it is a largely episodic show. But it's just worth noting that, like, for example, like some of the most famous like the the episode where Heifer gets jerked off by a milking machine is not there. You know, like it, if it is, it's way back in the catalog, way out of airing order. Might so, I might I suggest trotting less trod paths? when seeking an interesting viewing experience yeah definitely just it's just something to be aware of we wouldn't want to like recommend you to watch it and have you be like confused or something so you know that's worth noting if you're going to seek it out yeah yeah mm -hmm. i mm -hmm. i tend to trod less trodden paths <laughs> so took um, road and less traveled by and that has made all the difference yes so <laughs> Go watch it. Just even yeah. if you just watch a couple episodes, I think you'll get the gist. Yeah, definitely. And it'll just give you a moment to be like, huh, this is a really weird show. Things sure have changed. Things sure have changed. Um, and <laughs> as as we wrap up here, I would like to thank everybody for sticking with us. We with this episode have pretty much dedicated to getting back on a more regular schedule. This is the quickest two episode turnaround we've had in a while. <laughs> a really so, long time. So, yeah, now, but we we say we're, we're trying to get back on schedule, but something that should be noted is that I am getting married in May and Chris is in my wedding. So there will be a disruption um, in like late May, early June. Like it will absolutely get disrupted. We are... Theoretically hoping to record a in-person episode after the wedding, though. That weekend. Yeah. Maybe. Yes. We're, Maybe. It we're, depends. We're, it's going to be busy, so. Yeah, we're, 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 we've talked about it. We've batted the idea around, so mm -hmm. maybe you'll catch mm -hmm. us in the same room soon. Yeah. It would probably be something super short and simple, like watching a movie. So don't yeah. expect a full episode. Yeah. Yeah, maybe some bonus content. For you Patreon subscribers. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of, let's, yes. uh, let's take it out. Yeah. So we do have a Patreon where if you want to help us cover the basic costs of creating this show and get some occasional bonus content, you can support us. We don't have any tiers. You can give like... I don't know, I think make, maybe Patreon makes you give like at least $2 or whatever, but you can give $2 or whatever. 
Um, that is where we can be found on Patreon as the Animates if you'd like to support us there. We can also be found on Twitter as at Animates and on Facebook as Animates Podcast. If you have lengthy inquiries or like mad at us about something and want to yell or ask a question, you can email us as well. We are animates at gmail.com with the numeral eight instead of the letters A-T. As always, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. That helps other people find the podcast, which we would really love if we could bring our beautiful content to other people. Uh, but I have been Paige. And I have been Chris. And this has been Animates. Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life. <laughs>